Hey guys, welcome back to Community Conversations with Deja and Lily. Um, this week we're going to be talking about some of the ongoing social and political issues relevant to the BAME community. Um, we're obviously going to talk about how this has impact, um, impacted people's mental health um, and the social turbulence that this is having. Um, so we're going to draw on some topics that we've talked about previously and this week talk about gender-based violence, um, and also racially based violence and some organisations that you can reach out to for support. So we're going to get started and we're going to talk a little bit about the death of Sarah Everard and kind of the conversations that have happened as a result of her passing in regards to gender, the way women are treated in society. And then we're also going to kind of go into the mental health impacts that these actual conversations are having. So um, this follows on from our last week's show um, where we kind of went into International Women's Day and the treatment of women in the UK in Nottingham more widely. And so, Lily, do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened to Sarah? Yeah, so I think obviously this is a horrific incident that's happened and, you know, anything like this usually would spark um, some uproar in social media. But I guess the points that have made it just extremely scary for everyone um you know number one is the fact that the person who murdered sarah is a policeman um you know the people who are supposed to keep us safe and that we can call in times of emergency um and the fact that you know like like we said last week as women we feel like we have to do a lot of things um safety precautions to try and make our chances of being hurt or you know put in an uncomfortable position as low as possible and I think um, something that's really hit home for a lot of people is that with Sarah, she kind of did every step possible that she could have uh, to keep herself safe. So she was walking not very late, you know, only 9.30 p.m. in the evening. Um, she was wearing bright and memorable clothing. Um, she also was wearing trainers so that she could run if she needed to. And she was also seen in CCTV footage. So, you know, it just comes down to that thing of what else could she have done? And that really, um, I guess, makes people think about, you know, we need to be changing the way we think that it's not about what she could have done to have prevented it. It's what about, you know, it's more about what we can do as a society to prevent the people who actually, you know, kill and are the violent ones from doing it in the first place. Because, you know, we've been told for so many years that these are the things you have to do, but this is just clear proof that those things don't work and they don't keep you any more safe. So it's not our fault as women. Definitely. Like, I think a lot of discussions have been had saying, you know, well, she did everything that she should have done. But on the flip side, there is nothing that a woman can do. There is nothing that anyone can do that kind of warrants what happened to her to happen to anyone. And it is on the part, like, we don't need to teach our girls better. We don't need to dress more appropriately. We don't need to, you know, unfortunately we do apparently have to, you know, take more precautions for our safety. But the principal matter is that more needs to be done and more needs to be addressed in terms of the people that are inflicting these this violence and these harms onto others. Exactly. And I think, you know, the point is, is that we've had countless examples of where women have been harmed and each time nothing really changes and the people in charge just don't really seem to get the point. And I think, you know, this is still evident um, with this movement that's come from Sarah's death, because 
uh, the response we've had from the government and the police is that they're going to put more money into lighting the streets and more CCTV, which firstly, you know, have they forgotten what just happened? She was seen on CCTV and she was wearing bright clothes and visible. So it's like, if that didn't work for her, then why are you putting more money into something that clearly doesn't protect people? And then, you know, the proposal to be sending un undercover police, you know, not in uniform, into bars and clubs. I mean, the person who just took her life was a policeman. So what is saying that any of us are going to feel more safe or actually be more safe with that? Especially when, you know, a lot of girls and women in clubs are going to be under the influence of alcohol and in their most vulnerable state. So I think the point that, you know, a lot of us are feeling and trying to make is that it's not about these small things to make me make people feel a bit more relaxed. It's about actually going to the root of the problem and changing the way the system works and the legislation and, you know, the consequences that come with, you know, um, people not just killing, but any type of assault or any type of violence. And I think that's the problem is there's not enough consequences um, the consequences aren't big enough and people just aren't that scared. So that's why, you know, these things continue to happen time after time and nothing really changes. Um, I don't know, Deja, did you want to talk a bit about like the movement and how sort of useful we think it has been? Well, yeah, like talking about there being, you know, more harsher sentences and uh, greater police powers. So currently going through Parliament is the Police Crime and Sentencing Bill. And it is it's a really controversial piece of leg legislation that's being pushed forward. So it's 300 pages. It's got an array of extended police and judicial powers, the main of which are harsher sentences on violent offenders, including rapists and sexual offenders, harsher penalties for attacks against the police. And then the most controversial, and it kind of leans on to the next point regarding Sarah Everard's death, it increases police powers to dismantle protests causing, quote unquote, serious disruption. So last week, following the vigil for Sarah Everard in London, this was kind of um, people were warned not to attend it because it was in breach of lockdown. But we've spoken about this before, Lily. If you feel that passionate about something and you're willing to risk, you know, exposure to coronavirus, that says a lot of its own right. But um, so this vigil, it did turn disruptive. Um, there's videos of women being arrested by police, police being quite brutal with them. So there's a lot to kind of unpack with this. First and foremost, how are you going to send police, like a, like a massive amount of police, into a vigil, which was always intended to be peaceful? It wasn't supposed to be a protest. How are you going to send a bunch of police in, in their uniforms, at a vigil for a woman that died by a police officer? Like, that was never going to end well that was never you know there was always going to be aggravation as a result of that but then exactly and then for the government to kind of be pushing through this legislation extending the police powers in dismantling protests that's problematic of its own rights um our local mp nadia whittone she said you know it's a massive attack on freedom of speech and right to protest in this country people have been protesting for generations on things that are important to them and you know, mobilising their voice in the only way that a lot of people have, and that is to protest. Yeah, and I think, you know, just linking it back a bit to last week with how we said that some of the protests for um, racism that happened, you know, all over the country, you know, people are facing are facing racism every day so they would want to protest because it doesn't just stop because of corona and the same goes for gender-based violence and you know domestic violence happening in the home for a lot of women 
um, coronavirus is nothing compared to the enemy they're facing every day. And so stopping these protests is just like so backwards and wrong because yes, coronavirus is killing a lot of people, but so is like all of these other issues. So I think there's a bit of a problem with prioritization. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that comes into sort of race and class. And it does make me think, why are certain groups being prioritized so much more over others? Exactly. And then, like, so it's it's classified as serious disruption that the police are going to be able to kind of put their will on and dismantle. That's completely left to their discretion. So then that just gives a further opportunity for police to abuse their powers if they don't like the tune of the protest that's going on on that day, if it isn't in their best favour, i.e. a protest against police brutality against women or, you know, against black people. So it is a really, it's a really controversial piece of legislation and it's worth definitely keeping an eye on kind of what's been, what happens with that. So it's still got to go through the House of Lords. Um, but like I said, our local MP, Nadia Whittam, she is being very vocal and she said quite a passionate speech in the House of Commons last week, kind of saying how problematic this legislation is and how it was it was kind of put in place as a result. And, you know, in the backlash of what's happened to Sarah, but it is actually contrary to everything that needs to be done in response to her passing. Yeah, and I think this is the problem. Like, we need to be trying to not just change what ordinary people think, but what the government thinks. You know, there's a lot of misogyny and sexism and racism, racism within government and also a huge underrepresentation of women and, um, you know, the BAME community within government. And I think, you know, this bill just shows exactly that because it is just not yeah, it's just not helpful to the cause. And it's, if anything, it's just going to make people more upset and angry. And it's it's just stopping any type of change from happening. So I think this just shows us there's a huge problem like with our system. Definitely. And, you know, people are speaking about it. Like I'm sure many of the people listening are kind of aware, but in the past few weeks, social media has been plagued by kind of you know posts about what happened to Sarah Everard and it's turned into a wider discussion of the way that women are treated and this is kind of in the days following International Women's Day, Mother's Day ironically but it's turned into yeah this massive discussion you know quite far from the actual you know what happened to Sarah Everard into discussions about the way that men treat women, the way women are treated in society and the subtle aggressions that women experience on the daily so the big statistic that's being pushed about is 97% of women have experienced some form of sexual assault. So my thing is kind of what is the mental health impact of constantly being exposed to these kind of reporting, which whilst it is so invaluable for these conversations to be had and this awareness to be and um, to be raised, but I don't know about you, Lily, but like the past week, every time I've turned my TV on or gone onto my Instagram, it's been posts and posts and posts about the way that women are vulnerable in society. And, you know, and then you've got the people that are saying, you know, well, maybe they should act differently. It's kind of deserved and things like that. And I think it's just really, really important that if anything's going to come from all of this, it needs to be physical action and people changing their behaviours and changing their kind of prejudices against women and the subtle kind of violences and abuses that women kind of experience that needs to be realised rather than it being kind of 
just a social movement for March and then come April when everything's open again, we're going to forget about it. Yeah, I mean, it, this week has been extremely draining. And I think part of the problem is, you know, the media always jumps on things and exploits it. And it's just become a thing where, you know, if any woman has experienced this type of trauma, you haven't even had the choice to like switch it off because on every single platform, on the TV, on everything it is just unavoidable. And I just think also there hasn't been enough support following that, you know, for people who are really struggling, struggling right now, what like what is being done? It's just being shoved in their face and they're being made to feel worse about it. So I think that's really, really difficult. And that's something that definitely needs to be addressed. Um, And I know like there's also the whole thing for men, because a lot of men have been feeling like, you know, not all men and they've been feeling like they've been a bit sort of targeted and, um yeah I don't know I I mean what do you think about that Deja my thing is like I understand yeah it can be a bit relentless like there was a similar thing in response to the Black Lives Matter movement last year where you know a lot of white people were saying you know all lives matter this that and the other my thing is you're only feeling like attacked if you're complicit and as hard as it may be for you as a man that's like seeing all of this you know, information about how men, you know, statistically are more likely to target women, and you know, all the violences that men enact against women. That shouldn't bother you unless you like have a low key feeling that you are part of that statistic. And it's like what I was saying a minute ago, as hard as it is for you being a guy and knowing that, you know, women view men as potential abusers how hard is it for the 97% of women that are having to see this on the news every day that are being triggered and reminded of their kind of subjugal position in society and the vulnerabilities that they experience just walking to the shop past seven o'clock at night. So yeah, it's not great, you know, and it's, we can't say it's all men, you know, no, it's not all men, but the fact of the matter is, you know, how many times have you been assaulted on a sexual basis you know on the grand scheme and then on subtle kind of aggressions by another woman my personal experience it's all been men so yeah my my kind of take on it is if you really are supporting women and you know that your hands are clean and all this and even if they're not like you people can make mistakes in their past but if you're pro women and supporting of women this shouldn't be bothering you Yeah, I think it's about, you know, like you said, even if you have made a mistake, it's about accepting that and then choosing to change and choosing to try and, you know, make up for it and think about in your everyday life, like ways you can make people feel more comfortable and ways you can even like influence your friends to be better. So I don't think it's the type of thing where it's like, yeah, I think a lot of people are feeling like they're almost being cancelled or that's it and they're awful and horrible. But it's, you know, it's just we're just trying to like make change and make make this not be happening so often um yeah I guess we wanted to touch on just the whole thing of social media as a platform for movement in general um we we're talking a bit about this earlier and we were just saying that you know it's it's a really strange thing like we're not sure how much change will actually come out of this and this is mainly because you know the main um purpose and the main things that seems to happen on social media you know it's a platform where you can make yourself seem any type of way you can make your life look like this or that and it's completely down to you so there is a big sort of 
fakeness to um, social media. And, you know, I know I've spoken to people and a lot of people have also in these movements felt a lot of pressure to be posting. And it's like, oh, which movements should I post about and how often do I have to post? And if I've talked about this, but then I don't talk about this, does it mean I like support one more than the other? And I think this is quite problematic. Um, Not only does it maybe actually discourage some people from getting involved because it's kind of like anything you post online, you might be attacked for or you might be. I don't know. There is a sort of competitiveness about it. And I also think we can't trust what everyone's posting, because at the end of the day, posting something on your story doesn't necessarily mean you can you believe it because yeah, social media is, it's its fake, it's a, it's a wall, it's sort of a mask that people put up and it's like editing photos, you can't believe any, like we've talked about this before in body image, you know, you can't believe anything you see on there and people are showing you how they want you to perceive them. So I think, like you said, um, it needs to be about actually making proper change like outside of just the internet and in real life rather than just this whole sort of social media frenzy that's happening at the moment million percent agree with that like I think people definitely use you know their infographics and they're like nice little hashtags as kind of social currency and then on the flip side if you don't post you're kind of viewed as being complicit and like oh so are you for the violence against women then does that mean you're pro-violence against women it's like no but like I don't post I I don't post any of these infographics and you know that's not to dis you know the people that do but my thing is like I know that I do things through my actions and then that's the issue like I know plenty of racists last year who were posting their little black squares and their BLM hashtags and it's like And then even in regards to this, you know, discussions about the way women are treated, you're going to be posting all of these infographics about 97% of women, this, that and the other. But when the nightclubs open, are you still going to be catcalling women? And are your mates still going to be putting things in women's drinks and you're not going to be saying anything? So it's like, it's really easy to speak about a social movement where you're not having an in-depth conversation. But when you're next to your barbecue with the lads and they start making comments on, you know, your female friends or whatever you know whatever issue kind of you're talking about are you going to speak up for that group because you've got a lot to say when you're behind a screen like are you going to be speaking up if you walk past the street and you see someone being you know heckled out or if you see someone being verbally abused on graces on grounds of discrimination are you actually going to stand up for that person you know so I completely agree it's it's not whilst yeah there is it's good to raise awareness with social media just make sure that kind of your posting has a has a backbone to it and that it's you're consistent with the message that you're kind of portraying yeah exactly I mean it definitely is more important what you do in real life than what you post on social media and I mean um you know we're talking about mental health and um, a recent example of this you know this isn't so much about like um sex but more about race so with Meghan Markle recently in the news you know, she's just been like her mental health, like she said in her interview, has just deteriorated so much and she's just faced so much abuse online. And I think this is the problem with the internet is it's just like such a free pass to just post whatever you want and go on this sort of, I don't, I don't yeah, I don't know. I mean, did you watch it, the interview? Yeah, yeah, it was really upsetting. Like, and like you were kind of saying, I mean, again, in the wake of last year, 
you can guarantee that you know the editors of these magazines and the people that are slandering Meghan Markle and giving her all this abuse they were posting black squares last year like it's horrific and for people you know there's still to be people eyebrows raised when people say this country is racist and got a race issue you know it's it's quite harrowing and yeah when you talk about you know Meghan Markle's mental health and just you know mental health of the BAME community in general there's been a lot of discussions recently about the kind of um, vulnerabilities that we have and the abuse that's experienced on whatever kind of scale from verbal to physical that has like an effect when you're constantly seeing like oh you're vulnerable you know you're going to be targeted against you're viewed as less in society even if you haven't directly had a knee on your on your neck or you've not directly been you know called out by the queen or whatever that you resonate with that group that's being discriminated against and you know that if you were in that situation you would be treated the same yeah and I think like like you said before you know about the movements how you're kind of saying like they'll they'll start and then it sort of gets so off topic and all of this like such far-fetched stuff is all brought into it and the movement like almost doesn't have a direction anymore this is you know what has happened with the whole Meghan Markle thing like I mean, why why has she even been in the news that much? Like, there's so much more other important things that are happening rather than gossiping and, you know, saying rude things about um, someone in the royal family. Like, why is that important to us? I just, I that's the thing to me, like, that shocked me the most because obviously there was so much racism and so many of these, yeah, magazine headlines that were horrific. But to me, that doesn't surprise me because we've seen that all before. It's just, it is awful. And I don't agree with it. But yeah, like this is nothing new and clearly things still haven't changed. But for me, it was how everybody I knew and like parents and younger people and everyone was just so consumed by it. And it was just the so like that was what everyone was talking about. And I was just shocked at why people cared so much. Like, why? Do you, I mean, did you care? I'm just thinking I don't I personally don't really care about the royal family that much and what they do I think there's so many more important things definitely I think it's just an excuse to nitpick like there was something news like she bought an avocado and she was like oh Meghan Markle responsible for deforestation in you know Asian America it's like come off it now like really I think yeah it's just pushing it's just pushing I think yeah the issue of kind of what Meghan Markle has experienced it it does just demonstrate you know we've spoken about this a lot but this country does have like quite a severe race issue and not even just this country but kind of generally and then kind of drawing that back into mental health and the impact that has on our communities John DeGroy he talks about post-traumatic slave syndrome and that's kind of the idea of the impact of long-term generational racism and injustice kind of internalized so it doesn't matter if you haven't experienced it yourself and you weren't in that specific situation but constantly being reminded and exposed to it whether that's on the news or social media of kind of the discrimination that your people of your background experience it does weigh on you a lot and it does really affect you and then kind of you know, there's a big issue with um, anti-Asian racism at the minute. So this past week on the 16th of March, that was um, three Asian-owned businesses in Atlanta in America were targeted by a terrorist. Um, he shot eight people, I believe. So eight people passed away, most of which were Asian women. And it was a specific anti-Asian attack. Notice how the news aren't referring to him as a terrorist. As far as I'm concerned, he is a terrorist. 
Um, and then there's also, so in the UK, there's been a 300% increase in Asian hate crime in the past year. And a lot of it's kind of been spurred on by the pandemic. And, you know, Trump referred to it as the China virus. Um, so like a lot of misinformation has kind of been spread regarding coronavirus and the Asian community and it is misinformation, you know, Europe, the worst, one of the worst states for coronavirus, it's nothing to do with China or its origins. Yeah, and I mean, there was a story about actually in a hospital in Derby where um, one of the doctors was shouted at um, because, you know, with an Asian like racist slur. And it's just crazy because, you know, these people are out there putting themselves you know, exposing themselves, um, putting themselves in danger and fighting to like help people survive. And then they're being um, shouted at and like facing abuse. So it's just crazy how it works. doesn't make any sense to me. Definitely. Like the Asian community has got a long history of, you know, racism against them in the Western kind of world and a lot of a lack of kind of justice in that regard like there's not that same movement even on the news right now in regard to what happened in Atlanta what happened to that lady in Derby it's not reported on anywhere near as much and it's not kind of addressed to the degree that it should be bringing that back home you know Nottingham in 2011 our population 13.5 percent of our population are Asian so that's a decent amount of our community and we do need to make sure that we're kind of supporting them and we're being that showing that social solidarity if you've got that energy for black lives matter and the feminist movements and you need to make sure that you've got that same movement for the asian community because they're invaluable to our society and you know we should all be supporting each other no matter what kind of background we're kind of coming from so yeah kind of bringing that back into mental health you know the idea of racial trauma and again you may not be on the receiving end of that kind of experience but it does weigh down on you knowing that you're vulnerable to that and having that kind of fear and anxiety of you know not knowing if you're going to be subjected to racial slurs when you leave the house and you know there's also an issue when it comes to treatment BAME groups are significantly less likely to receive adequate mental health support more likely to be prescribed medication over counselling and then there's the issue when counselling is available there's a mismatch in terms of the person that you're speaking to has no idea about the racial-based mental health issues that you experience and kind of undergo. So we kind of wanted to show you, um, show you guys some of the support mechanisms that kind of are out there if you're suffering with your mental health and you are a member of the BAME community. So um, there's the Fearless Youth Association in Nottingham, which they do lots of work kind of based on supporting youths, but they do a lot of mental health support and they try to target that specifically at young people. So you can engage with that at www.fyaonline.com. And there's also Majatu, which is actually um, a partner um, organisation to Phyllis Youth Association. Um, and they actually focus um, particularly on women and girls. So that's another place to... Um, to reach out to and then we've got nottingham counseling center so that's the bame focused counseling hub and what they try to do is really important so they match um, they attempt to match counselors to the ethnic background of the person that's in need of the support as far as resources kind of allow so that's really important if you're struggling with identity issues or you know a lot of you know mental health issues as a result directly of your kind of background 
but also so there's this um London psychotherapist and she encourages kind of self-therapy because as we all know this country does have very limited resources in regards to mental health let alone the issues related when you're part of the BAME community accessing mental health resources so self-therapy is really important and kind of knowing what triggers you what kind of um is damaging to your mental health and especially during lockdown when we're all on our phones all the time if if like what like we were talking about if being reminded of your vulnerable position as a woman as a member of the BAME community if that's weighing you down take yourself off social media for a day like it does definitely help a lot and at the end of the day these messages if you're on the experiencing end of the these kind of movements and you're the person you know you're part of the community that the movements are in favor of you don't need to be any more aware of it than your life already has made you so like it's definitely worth kind of just removing yourself from that exposing yourself to that kind of trauma and instigating that within yourself yeah definitely you have to make sure you prioritize your own mental health um because that is just you know it's not going to be helpful if you like damage yourself even further and then you aren't in a state to cope or help others anyway so I think that's extremely important um so if any of you have any ideas um about ways to make change with any of these topics or any questions you want to ask us please feel free to email us um my email is lily at fmbradio.com and mine is Deja at fmbradio.com. So we're going to wrap up for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And please, yeah, please do get in touch if you find any of these issues kind of reflective to your own experiences. Um, if you kind of wanted to speak out on any of the kind of injustices that you yourself has un have undergone as a result of these issues. And again, even if you need any support with mental health, reach out to the kind of support mechanisms that we've mentioned. And you're also more than welcome to drop us a line in our emails. So you've been listening to Community Conversations with Deja and Lily. We will be back in two weeks time for our final episode. So please make sure that you listen in and have a good rest of your week, guys. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>